Hello, and welcome to the Tiniest Twigs Podcast. My name is Max Boyum. I can be found anytime online at Max Boyum on Twitter. You can also give us a follow at Tiniest Twigs. Any questions, concerns, ideas for different topics can be sent to tiniestwigspod at gmail.com. We're always looking for great ideas and great content and much better in your guys' hands and minds, right? This episode is a follow-up to our conversation with Father Timothy Smith from the Cathedral of St. Joseph regarding the death penalty. It's a great conversation that jumps a little bit more into the theology of the death penalty and the church's stance on such. And it gets into a lot of really great discussion about what the church's stance is now as opposed to what it was just a few months ago. And getting into a little bit more about how that's going to change in the future. If you haven't had the chance to, Great opportunity now for you to subscribe to us on iTunes. I mentioned on Twitter we made the announcement that we are now available on Spotify. And, drumroll, we are now available also on Google Play. So, any of you Android users don't have an excuse to not be subscribed to the show anymore. You can get it directly to your phone. Don't have to do anything more than hitting that subscribe button. We always love getting reviews. Again, I want this show to be an opportunity for you all to dictate where I go. So please, please, please... Let me know what your thoughts are. Let's jump right into the conversation with Father Timothy Smith. Let's jump right in then to Francis's re- revision of the catechism and like we've talked about, the infamous paragraph 2267. So, Father, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened and how that changes everything within context of what we've been talking about within the first part and now leading into the second part. Well, the summer, it uh, created quite a stir when there is a new revision of Catechism number 2267 within the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is the subject of this uh, podcast. And so uh, there's a rescript, which basically, uh, under the order of the Holy Father, Pope Francis, uh, really on the 11th of May, 2018, um, through the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, we really is approved a new draft of this catechism paragraph, which changes it uh, quite a bit. And so I'm just going to, do you want to recite that? Do you have the new one in front of you at all, Max? You know, I I have the article from Crux, but I don't have the actual announcement in front of me, but I can get that real quick. I I have it right here. So it's, uh, I'll just read it. And it, this quite, the, there's three paragraphs, and it's they've changed from the previous three paragraphs, which I just read in the last segment. So uh, the new revision says, Recourse to the death penalty on the part of a legitimate authority following a fair trial was long considered an appropriate response to the gravity of certain times and an acceptable, albeit extreme, means of safeguarding the common good. Today, however, there is an increasing awareness that the dignity of the person is not lost, even after the commission of very serious crimes. In addition, a new understanding has emerged of the significance of penal sanctions imposed by the state. Lastly, more effective systems of detention have been developed, which ensure the due protection of citizens, but at the same time, do not definitively deprive the guilty of the possibility of redemption. Consequently, the church teaches in the light of the gospel that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviability and dignity of the human person, and she works with determination for its evolution worldwide. And so there's a significant shift in the uh, wording of these three paragraphs from the previous 
which says that the previous paragraph, which said that there, uh, the circumstances in which an execution is a necessity, that there is a possibility. Whereas in this new uh, statement, the wording concludes with because of the, this dignity of the human person and the inviability that it cannot be violated, that dignity, that uh, that the church's position is to work for the abolition of the death penalty worldwide. And it doesn't emphasize that there are circumstances or, or situations where it is per, perhaps an absolute necessity. Um, so there's a changing in word, wording. And as one of my logic professors, uh, a Dominican, Father A.C. Fabian, would say, you're going to have a problem with language in life, and especially when it comes to uh, writing teaching documents and especially writing law and all sorts of things in human life. Um, I will say in, in this circumstance that took place within our parish, uh, even though this, this new document, this new paragraph was revised, I did not find it helpful in, as I mentioned in the previous episode, in the really exercising pastoral ministry, both to the victim's family and co-workers, as well as uh, to you know promoting the dignity of the human person and the church's teaching in opposition to capital punishment. Nor did the bishop's document cite this new paragraph, which has just emerged. One might presume that because this, this document came from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, that perhaps the bishops, when they articulated their statement, that they would use this, but it actually is not cited. Rather, they cite this, the gospel and the other principles of the, of the church's teaching and, and also the, the difficulty of the circumstances, but to provide a consistent message of the church's opposition to capital punishment while at the same time um, recognizing the need to protect civil society. Um, so even my conversation with Dr. Uh, Susan Winley Doust this last week in preparation to pastoral ministry, uh, we both were in agreement in our conversation that the, the, this new statement or this new teaching wasn't particularly helpful because in its promulgation, in its being released in May, um, there was uh, quite opposition because it uh, really, there's been long in the history of the church's teaching and tradition that there is there's long been accepted that the capital punishment or the is when ne necessary was permitted just as Pope St. John Paul II articulated that you know it is if it's an absolute necessary necessity um, then it can be something that's done or allowing that opportunity as we grow in technology and in modern correctional systems um, these circumstances seem to become slim to none. But at the same time, this new document rephrases things in a whole different way, coming to a different, to a different conclusion. Um, there's, there's a great article that I'm going to recommend in regards to this, but I wanted to know, uh, have you, did you recognize in your experience, Max, like how people received this new teaching when it was revealed um, earlier this summer. Yeah, I, I think it kind of depended on who you asked. I think it was really, I, I guess on the surface, when I saw the headline, you know, the the clickbait headline, Francis changes catechism, you know, something crazy like that. Again, 
Like you'd mentioned in the spirit of this podcast, of course I jumped on it, naturally, given that it would provide a lot of really great content. But after looking at it, honestly, my first reaction, and I would say the reaction of the people that I talked to immediately uh, upon hearing the news, was that it did change a lot within the actual language, within the specifics of the word, you know, inadmissible, um, compared to the previous interpretation and previous definition. But as I think about it and as I thought about it, and I guess even now just hearing what you had said about it, to me, it doesn't necessarily seem like that was a necessary move by Francis. It doesn't seem like that concrete. Like, I was going to ask you, actually. So, I mean, I don't understand or I I don't see what that is going to concretely change. Wherein, again, the previous interpretation left like that point zero 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 one extreme instance where that the the circumstances within the situation allow things to fall through with that definition but in my i guess again that initial reaction to it the using of the word inadmissible to me is clean in that it draws an absolute bright line between the two of them between i guess the previous interpretation and what it is now so i i do like it in the simplicity's sake of how, again, draws that line in the sand. But as you just laid out, I I do think it is potentially problematic. So I was going to ask you, what what concrete changes do you think we're going to be seeing as a result of this revision? Well, in terms of, I think you can really even look at how, uh, you know, the bishops, uh, and I, I presume many bishops in other states, when they, when they are responsible to ultimately, because their office is teaching, that that's who the primary office of teaching resides in here in our local church, and I serve the, under the, the authority of the bishop. But I think it's, it's evidence to the fact that uh, they're going to continue to present the consistent teaching of the church, but I don't think this particular paragraph change is really going to bring about any major, major changes. I think what it does represent, though, is that we live in a, a different age of information where making a change like this um, is received very differently than it was perhaps in other time when uh, teachings were promulgated or documents or things came out from the CDF, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And so uh, there's a great article, I think, really identify some of the challenges and the difficulties of that, which is from First Things. So this can be accessed free online. First Things is a is a uh, uh, magazine that's on the faith and public life. It has a lot of different subjects. It's been around for many years, and it, it really comments on church life. And there's an article from this month, actually, by an, by an author named Stephen Long called uh, Really, it's magisterial irresponsibility is what it's talking about. So uh, the, we talk about magisterium, the teaching office of the church. And so this 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 article is a, a little bit uh, captures their attention. It says there's a magisterial irresponsibility in this manner of teaching. Now, he doesn't go directly there, but he has four principal criticisms of this revision 2267. Uh, first of all, he wants to maintain, which a big fear is, does this mean that the church is changing its teaching, like those headlines, those clickbait headlines, you know? If that's the case, if, if teachings that have long been in the tradition are changed, then that would mean there's a rupture, there's a, there's a break 
in a consistent message of, of, of church doctrine or church teaching. And so if that's the case, that's very problematic because we want to have a consistent faith that's rooted in integrity and that, that's rooted in truth. And so these things cannot be just changed, uh, certain man levels of teaching. And there's different levels of teaching within the Catholic faith, and you can systematically go through that. We won't do that today. But ultimately, Stephen Long does maintain that this is not a rupture in teaching. Of course, this first paragraph talks about this, the, that the death penalty recourse was long considered an appropriate response in the gravity at certain times. And what it's concluding is that this is no longer acceptable. It's, it's inadmissible in our present time. Um, so Stephen Long has four criticisms of this new paragraph. And the first argument that he looks at is really that it concludes with this, this, this fact of the human dignity, the dignity of the human person, and that he calls it the dignitarian argument. And Stephen Long, in his article, uh, there's, there's more there. He really gets into the idea of how for such a long time that the permissibility of the death penalty was based really on the virtue of prudence, that making a right decision according to right reason. And so knowing a present danger that perhaps a person who poses a threat to others and the lives of others, making a prudential judgment of using capital punishment to taking that person's life is really exercising that moral virtue of prudence in order to protect society and other people's lives from a, an immediate threat and a risk. And so that beforehand, it was really exercising prudential judgment to make sure that we would protect society. You know, in this article, he talks, he calls it really that this is really, really emphasizing more the dignity of the human person and really leaves out that conversation of prudence, which was really in there. It, it, it was always implied in the previous consistent meshes. And one of the things that his criticism is, is that this almost dignitarian argument really emphasizes human dignity, which we want to do, because as I mentioned before, there's other areas of human dignity in regards to human sexuality, uh, man and God created the man and woman, euthanasia, abortion, other areas where we emphasize human dignity. At the same time, this raising of human dignity um, long sees it more appealing to uh, secular hu humanitarianism, which would just really emphasize uh, care for humanity in general rather than a uh, particular reason. And, and one could say, well, what about the human dignity of the people who are threatened by this particular person? And so it's maybe not as definitive, whereas a virtue of prudence, making a right decision based on the facts in order to prevent and, and uphold the safety of society as well as um, making a right judgment, that is more of a sound argument. The second criticism he has is that the way that this material was presented and publicized is in a misleading way. And this is something we have to deal with in our contemporary time. You know, everything from different media sources, podcasts, news releases, Twitter, Facebook, all the things that come out, it really just, it, things are really opened up in a negative way. And so even a fellow priest that I know who perhaps, uh, you know, posted about how this new, this new paragraph came out, 
Um, but even some who are involved in leading prayer groups and really peaceful, charismatic communities and things were quite, quite surprised when they would see on comment boxes people who they've known for a long time uh, who are very loving and, and people who they presume to be really led in the spirit uh, to see in their comments that they would very quickly uh, say that they believe that capital punishment is correct. And this this really stirred up a lot of a lot of dialogue right away about this issue. But uh, hit Long's criticism is that the way it was presented has more of an ideological uh, bent rather than uh, a teaching uh, way of, of bringing about and keeping it consistent with the church's message. And the third reason is that this revision in the catechism is problematic that he has is that the language that concludes with the death penalty just seems to suggest that the penalty is in itself unjust. And, and rather than actually make going back to the previous uh, understanding of the teaching was that that virtue of prudence, you know, that's all, these are both cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, you know, fortitude and temperance. And so uh, really it seems that the, the way that the, the argument or the language of the paragraph is written in a syllogism, a logical syllogism, really emphasizes that in itself it's an unjust act. And that's, that's why it, he also sees that it's problematic. And I can see that criticism. And his final reservation regarding this new insert is that it's, it appears that um, it's open to more than one interpretation, and it's just ambiguous. And of course, uh, this is a criticism to other things that the Holy Father, Pope Francis, has written as well in the last several years, and that it this ambiguity actually, rather than creating clarity and bringing about a greater unity, is actually fostered greater disunity and a frustration among theologians and the faithful who, like you and I, Max, just want to live the gospel and want to make make right decisions. But the fact, even if we had the greatest uh, teacher and the greatest theologian and someone who was able to articulate the way that all people around the world and, and 1.5 billion Catholics read and understand and could understand, um, living the moral life is never going to be so easy as just applying a paragraph to our current circumstances. Um, but ultimately, living the life of virtue, letting truth, uh, faith, hope, and charity, the virtues, you know, prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, those guide our actions. Um, and living a life of virtue takes place throughout our lives. And in each circumstance, living the moral life as well as all the truth and, and, and making good, right decisions in respect to the human person, as well as God's law and the commandments, um, is a lot. Uh, it's not as always clear as just reading a paragraph and being able to apply it to human life. And I think that's what's greatest thing is the takeaway from that is this, is that although this revised paragraph is here, it's not going to make it easier for us um, in promulgating and emphasizing God's hope for redemption and forgiveness, as well as this God's mercy and healing for all people involved. And of course, all this is a consequence of sin. So who we have to blame for this is Satan, the father of lies, and all the evil ones that would lead people to commit such evil acts. So, and I mean, that's heavy. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I've ever had that perspective of within the virtue of prudence, within that cardinal virtue of prudence, 
So would you say that that is the the single crux or the single pivot point for why Francis's definition or revision is problematic in the context of prudence? Because, like, in my mind, I think, again, like I'd mentioned, the use of the word inadmissible to me, again, draws that clear point in the, sta- in the sand. And originally I, I thought, if the church is serious about being consistent, about valuing human life from conception until natural death, then the word inadmissible is the clearest way of drawing that line in the sands. So would you say then that that argument of prudence or the virtue of prudence, viewing this through the lens of prudence, is the most effective way to look at each situation and look at the context as a whole within the revision itself and why that is problematic? Well, there are many people that are, uh, there's a lot that's been written on this specific topic and there, there are better arguments and, and others who have really looked at this through the lens of the language and especially really have done some really good, uh, logical syllogisms with, with how the statements are phrased, um, to, to really, to answer that question. And I'll be honest, I, I can doing it right now. Uh, I, I, I'm very, I'm very much inadequate at, at doing that without having looked at all the arguments and what a lot of the theologians who, as a parish priest, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready for all saints day right now, right. you know, or, you know, in prayer and writing homilies and things. Um, so I will tell you this, uh, in answer to your question, um, the prudential argument seems to me, to, you know, that we have to take into account all the virtues, you know, that, that, you know, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, and that uh, the teachings all the way back to Aristotle in pre-Christian times, and that living the virtuous life means not just emphasizing one virtue over another. And so, therefore, uh, the virtue of prudence does, like, you can't, uh, dis- uh, it's, so the inadmissibility, even though the choosing of that phrase, inadmissible, um, still, uh, it seems concrete, but as you know, as the language of the conclusion, um, somehow, you know, there's others who have really looked at this this document and, and really done the logic, and they do see that there's some ambiguity there. And I, 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 I just have to affirm them in their, in their, the way that they read that, they read the document. And uh, I, I don't think you're going to see a quick end to this uh, conversation anytime soon, um, just like there's been a lot of conversation around other documents, Amoris Laetitia is one, for example, uh, which moral theologians are also wondering about different language and, and how it's used and, and how it can be misleading, perhaps. I think uh, more than anything, a takeaway from all this conversation is that it's a great invitation for us to grow in our understanding of the moral life, uh, really spend some time in growing in understanding of the virtues of prudence and justice and fortitude and temperance try to live those virtues out in our own lives, uh, especially the, the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Ask God to strengthen us in those virtues in our personal prayer, and also ask that we could be citizens in a just society that exercises and lives by those virtues in all areas, whether it's in our penal system, our correction system, and our justice system, in our families, in our parish life, in our church life, in our workplace, in our employment, in our universities, 
that the call for all of us is to take the gospel and led by faith, hope, and charity, these virtues, these theological virtues, that be strengthened by God's grace, that we'd live the sacramental life, and that we become saints. And that ultimately, that if we're members of the church, we're striving for holiness, we're seeking sanctity, we're seeking to make correct actions, that the, the greatest ideal is that those who are in our justice system, that they have the opportunity to become saints. And we see that in in the tradition of the church, um, that the assailant who killed St. Maria Goretti um, later on would live his life in prison, repent, and become a holy man who would later on become a, a Capuchin friar and, and live his own life in repentance from the sin of taking the life of St. Maria Goretti and also live his life as a witness to what it looks like to have a, a prisoner who has repented from his evil act. And that's a great hope we have for all people. And that forgiveness of her family, which was extended to him, that the grace of forgiveness would take place in every area of human life. And that the gospel and the values that Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and the Beatitudes would animate the hearts and minds of all believers. And so that is our hope. Uh, that is what we pray for. We pray for healing in God's mercy. And that's an invitation that all of us can take up in our daily lives, no matter where we're at. That's beautiful. And I think that's a great place to wrap things up, Father. You've given us so much time uh, just unloading an absolute treasure trove of beautiful things to reflect on. Um, you'd mentioned there are a few links that you're going to send me that we'll put in the show notes just yeah, for people sure. to review. Uh, I definitely uh, would recommend perusing through those just to get a better idea Again, kind of as a good refresher to reinforce the things that Father had talked about. Um, just to also, I guess, make yourself a little bit more aware of what's going on and how important this issue is. And again, kind of like we talked about in the beginning, how timely this issue is, especially if you're a member uh, of the Sioux Falls Diocese, but in the diocese around the United States as well. I think it's a very important issue uh, and something that I, I think, again, in the context of where the church is moving, I think the laity are having... Uh, are, are going to be challenged strongly to take courage and to move forward very concretely with what they believe and what the church becomes within the next, I would say, decade or so. So I think it is important that people are informing themselves and are becoming more aware of the things that are happening within their church and not necessarily being bystanders within that. So definitely a very important topic, very, uh, very I guess, magnitude. It's a huge huge topic especially when we're talking about um, people's lives literally people's lives so father is there anything else that you wanted to throw in before we wrapped up here well i would just say continue to pray for uh one another and pray for those who are in prison and pray that they would be cared for and that that they would actually have that grace of redemption as well as pray for victims of violence and especially their families that they would be healed that they would no longer live in fear and uh especially just pray for all those who have died, friends and family, as we get ready for All Souls Day here at the end of this week. Uh, we keep in our hearts and minds this year, especially all those who have gone before us as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that the mercy of God would be offered to all people. Absolutely. And so, Father, again, we had kind of talked about this. Uh, would you mind leading us in a, a concluding prayer just to kind of wrap everything up? Yes, it would be honored. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, 
We pray for your healing and mercy upon all your people. Most especially, Lord, we ask that you would govern our society according to your truth and your wisdom. We pray that the virtues of wisdom and understanding and knowledge and counsel and piety and fortitude and fear of the Lord, the gifts of the Spirit, would bestow upon us and strengthen us in prudence and justice, fortitude and temperance, and most of all, faith, hope, and charity, that these gifts which you have given us would strengthen us and help us become saints. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beautiful. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Father, again for your time. Appreciate it. Is there any way, I mean, is there any spot or area that you want people to find you? Social media, websites, where, where can people find your knowledge? Where can people get in on the good stuff you're saying? Encourage people. Can you hear me now? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Just want to encourage people to uh, uh, support your local Catholic media. Uh, you can find us at your Catholic radio station.com, which is Real Presence Radio. And I'm part of the production team for Real Presence Live, which is our regional Catholic programming here in the upper Midwest. Um, and just also encourage you to just have conversations with your parish priest or with your family and friends. Uh, and just, you know, ask them, how do you experience God's healing in your life? And uh, that's my encouragement to all of you. If you need to get in touch with me, I'm at the Cathedral of St. Joseph, and if I've spoken an error in any of these topics, I'm well aware that uh, inadequately have spoken about some of these particular things because there's so much ground to be covered. So I ask for your forgiveness if I've uh, irritated or made anyone disappointed because there's a lot to cover, and I'm grateful just to have this time to think together and ask for God's mercy. Awesome. Well, oh, perfect. That's a great way to wrap up. How great was that? I tell you. A lot of really great information in there for you to digest. A lot of really great stuff for you to pray about. Also, really great information and just for common knowledge. And again, to see where the church is going. It's going to be very exciting to see. So, as we mentioned, there is that article from First Things from Stephen Long. That will be included in the show notes. So, not a bad idea to kind of read through that as Father is talking if you want to listen back to it. Also, some really great information in there that we didn't really get to within the actual conversation. So, again... Great way to diversify what you've thought about the death penalty and even just from the basics, an idea of what this all changes and what this revision sets forth for the future of the church. As we mentioned in the beginning, if you haven't had the opportunity, give us a follow on Twitter at Tiniest Twigs. Give me a follow at Max Boyum. You can also shoot us an email, tiniestwigspod at gmail.com. Great way for you to send any information that you have, any ideas that you have. I'd love to hear it. Again, better in your hands than mine. If you haven't had the opportunity to rate us, um, again, we're available on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Three great resources for you. And again, you don't have to do anything. Just hit subscribe and I'll come right to you. Thank you again for listening to the Tiniest Twigs podcast. We appreciate the time that you've given us. It's a great opportunity, again, for some community building. Great opportunity for you to help me. Great opportunity, hopefully, that it's helping you. And I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing it because I'm having fun. I hope that you're having fun enjoying with me. And some great opportunity to bring some great people on. We have a lot of really great stuff coming down the pipe. So thanks again for tuning in. We will see you next time.